Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute. Uh, good evening, everyone. Thank you all for joining us today on a panel discussion titled The, Path, the Map of Cities, The Making of Building Sharjah. I would foremost like to thank NYU Abu Dhabi for arranging this panel discussion and, of course, our panelists and the audience for making the time to attend the session. My name is Shadan Mulla, the Director of Art at the Ministry of Culture and Youth. It is my utmost pleasure to moderate this session with such an amazing panelist and would like to take the opportunity to firstly introduce each one of them. Uh, briefly, Sultan Saroud Al-Qasmi is the for, uh, Fall 2021 Kuwait Foundation Visiting Scholar at Harvard Kennedy School and the co-editor of Building Sharjah. Todd Rees is an architect and a, a writer. His work examines the global practice of architecture, specifically how the architect circulates technologies and cultural narratives. His book, Showpiece City, How Architecture Made Dubai explores architecture's packaging to sell Dubai on a global stage. He is also the co-editor of Building Sharjah. Reem Khorshid is an architect and a researcher who works, examines architecture and urbanism. She is currently pursuing her master's degree in architecture from Yale University. Reem's work has been exhibited at Jameel Art Center and the Spatial Sound Institute. Her writings has appeared in Platform, uh, Mada Masar, Masar, and the Daily News uh, Asia. Farah Fayyad is a graphic designer and a printmaker from Beirut, a highly print-oriented designer. Most of Farah's work has focused on a lot of experimentation and play with the Arabic script and Arabic typography and bilingual publications and exhibition design. Between 2012 and 16, she was part of Studio Safar, one of Beirut's leading design studios, developing projects primarily for the creative cultural field. In June, July 2018, she co-founded Nice Nice Prints, a screen printing studio, shop, and workshop space in Beirut. She's also the art director for Dar al-Nasr for Arts and Culture in Beirut. Farah is currently based in Amsterdam and is pursuing her master's degree at the design department and the Sandberg Institute. Welcome you all to an exciting hour and a half of the behind the scenes of Building Charger. Uh, firstly, I would like to give the opportunity to Sultan in specific uh, to give us a glimpse on the book, its structure and its content, and what really motivated every one of you uh, uh, in terms of driving intentions and motivations uh, with working on this book in specific. Thank you so much, uh, Shada, for uh, giving us this opportunity. Uh, I think I'd like to start with the, uh, the motivation rather than the content of the book. Maybe Todd can jump in when we speak about the content. But with regards to uh, the motivation, I think uh, maybe unlike some of my uh, other colleagues uh, in this uh, project, my motivation of coming into this book is highly personal. Sharjah is a city I was uh, born in, and uh, it's a city I grew up in, spent my formative years here. Uh, it's a city where my, my parents are from. It's a city where I made most of my friends. And so um, I, had, I come to it from a personal lens, maybe rather than a professional lens, although I needed the, pro the professional uh, lens and, the, uh, and all the skills that uh, Todd, uh, Reem, Farah, and our other colleagues brought together. Basically, uh, you know, growing up in Sharjah in the 80s and 90s, I was uh, accustomed to seeing a lot of the modern architecture that sprang in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, I would go to school and see landmarks. Uh, I would, you know, go to see friends and pass by the clock tower 
monument or by certain buildings that I got accustomed to. But then slowly around the turn of the, the century, this last millennium, uh, I noticed that these buildings were disappearing one by one. And I felt as though I was losing familiar uh, individuals. I wouldn't say friends, but I felt like as though, you know, uh, like a classmate or somebody that I was familiar with was disappearing. And I think uh, one, of the, one of the buildings that uh, really uh, affected me was the, the disappearance of this building that we refer to as the Mother Cat Building in, in Sharjah, because we used to go to Dubai all the time, and this building was always on the way to Dubai, back and forth, I see it. And I remember it because it has this giant black cat on its, on its side. So this was uh, the motivational, um, one of the motivations. And the other one was the building that you have now on the screen, which is the building that was constructed uh, in the late 1970s when I was born. And this building was a, uh, a building I spent 20 years in working professionally on the third floor, the balcony there on the right, uh, but I had no idea about it. I had no idea who designed it. I had no idea who built it. I had no idea when it was built. Uh, and that was, I think, a curiosity. How can, how can I not know, you know the history of this building in which I had spent so much time? Um, and it took, it took a while. It took us maybe longer than any other building to find information about this specific project. But I hand over to Todd perhaps here. Todd, you're on mute. So Tom, when he reached out to me, uh, I'd known him for several years already, but when he reached out to me right at about the time I was on a deadline to finish the final manuscript of Showpiece City. And he asked, hey, how about a book on Sharjah? And I thought, well, you know, I've been doing this book on Dubai for so long. It, it's not going to be that difficult to work on. And, you know, working with Sultan will be a pleasure. And of course, you know, he, he will be the one who, you know, will make sure that we can get doors open in Sharjah to, to get the information we need. All of that ended up being completely inaccurate. Uh, Sharjah was a completely different city uh, responding to all sorts of, of, of new and updated kind of global scenarios uh, and it's kind of accelerated moments of development. And of course, uh, Sultan had to show that it wasn't his uh, ability to know Sharjah, it was actually his, his talent at, at getting convincing people uh, to, to work with us. Uh, that actually was what made working with Sultan uh, that much more delightful. Thank you so much, Todd. Uh, Farah, uh, Reem, if you have any inputs, your inspiration, your driving motivation behind working on a book that really took a lot of your time, your nights uh, for, the for the last five years working on this. So what was your driving force behind this book? I can start, Farah, feel free to jump in uh, <laughs> at a time. But I think it was really interesting for me because before I was approached to start working on that book, I didn't have any uh, kind of prior experience with uh, in charge whatsoever like or even in the UAE like I was I was still based in Cairo I was an undergraduate studying architecture engineering and and I would say that uh, what was really interesting was the timing that Sultan approached me to start working in that book uh, it was a time when there was a lot of conversations going on about like heritage modern architecture and preservation especially in Cairo and at that time uh, I think 
um, the, the 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 architectural community, like uh, the, the the people people in the architectural community, were starting to understand more that bu buildings do not really convey just architectural and technological like aesthetic, but also they 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 say a lot about the political, cultural, and economic setting at that time that they were built, and and I think this is where I saw the importance or like the significance in being part of this project, knowing how underdocumented and undervalued modern Arab cities are. Um, yeah, and for me, it was uh, such a great opportunity to learn about a history I really knew nothing about. And throughout the process, I got access to really incredible uh, archival material. So I felt extremely privileged um, yeah, to have access to this material and to be able to put it together into uh, one object. And also the team was so accommodating and trusting. It was by far like one of the best um, experiences I've had working on a project. Such an amazing uh, insight. Thank you so much. I think uh, a lot of the, the audiences may not hear this uh, again with insights on, on how you guys really started working on the book and thinking about uh, working and what really drove you through this book, uh, through the five years that you guys have invested in this book. Uh, I think uh, maybe personally, on a personal level, I was really interested in this book for many reasons. Um, and I think on a personal level, reading through the book and being from Sharjah, I would say uh, the book really adds a lot uh, to uh, it's too dear to my to, to my own heart, I would say for multiple reasons. One would be uh, that my family for the first time did contribute to a book uh, and the images in front of you are part of what we actually handed over to Sultan to select from, which is a building very dear to our family uh, that my grandfather built, which was Cinema Sharjah, the Sharjah Cinema. Uh, it was built, it was the first roofed uh, cinema, I would say, in the city of Sharjah. It was built in 1972 and, and it had an amazing uh, Chinese restaurant still existing in the UAE, uh, in Sharjah called the Peking restaurant. And uh, so of course the project in itself was very dear to me. And when I read through the book, I was really emotionally connected, I would say for one. But I think the other uh, thing that I really was um, um, happy to know that my family in itself, they were very excited to, you know, contribute to the book. They were, they were willing to even open up their doors to, you know, look at the collection and the archive material, which is usually on the first floor on my grandmother's house that no one has access to. So it was for us a chance to actually get into those uh, rooms to, you know, explore the content. Uh, and specifically, I got this image uh, on the, the screen because I think it really resonates with uh, the idea when we were young, we used to go to, to Cinema Sharjah, we used to have like free popcorn and Pepsis and we used to have like the Chinese food and the, the image on the left which really uh, is one of the the, the, the opening images of uh, I mean this uh, the one of the images that uh, withholds the story of the opening of Sharjah Cinema uh, which was uh, eventually uh, held at the Peking restaurant and if you notice the plates the bowls the cutlery basically was uh, from uh, China and specific and we still hold the collection in our own family I remember when we were young my mother, you know, would give us, uh, we would have these parties and, and, you know, get people to our house. And whenever we have Chinese food, we would use the, the dishes that you see. So we still hold that collection uh, in our family. And I think it's so much that we connect to the collection of the book and the archive and the history behind it. Uh, maybe on the other side, which, on the other slide, which is very interesting as well. 
is that I have been documenting uh, a little bit parts of the history of uh, of Sharjah and Ras al-Khaimah in specific, uh, and I use you you use my drones to uh, to you know photograph some of the abandoned buildings and the expected to be demolished buildings. Uh, and uh, for me, the book somehow gave me a list of buildings that I wanted to explore that I never knew about. And and I think one of the the examples that are is mentioned in the book is the uh, the kindergartens that were designed by Jafar Tuqan. Um, and and I remember passing by this building. And and looking at the, uh, the the building and of course taking photographs and for me I think documenting is is a, a part of uh, uh, the narrative of the building I think we usually uh, always look at the original design of the building and want to really protect that but I think the building really goes through layers of history and changes and modification and I think that is much as to be celebrated as the original design and the intention behind it so um, there are a lot of buildings that I've covered I think one of the other buildings that was also mentioned in the book is the the trades school in Sharjah. Uh, of course, it was mentioned very um, briefly, but for me, it was, again, a, a, a way to move forward to explore some of the, uh, the buildings that are very different uh, from the other government schools that were that you see in Sharjah. Uh, of course, when I read the book, I really understood why this specific building, for example, as a school looks so different like uh, from the other government school, specifically because this was uh, driven by the British in terms of establishing it. And you can see other examples in Ras al-Khaimah and others uh, of similar designs, as opposed to, you know, the government schools that were funded by the Kuwaiti. So I think, uh, the, the book really, you know, connected the dots for me in that sense. And, and I think it's, it's something that uh, really added to the, my own knowledge of uh, the, the, the history of Sharjah and the different layers. Uh, maybe other stuff that I really think was interesting in the book, is that my, of course, this is my own personal view, um, is how the book really, um, and I think this starts with your article, Sultan, is how you really look at your mother and her journey and her role in society. And really, for me, that article sets the tone for the book because I knew the book won't be about architect, architecture or urban design or urban planning. It is about people's stories. It's about their voices, individual voices in certain instances, uh, in certain articles in your, in your book. So for me, that was really one of the things that really drove me to the book. But, but at the same time, uh, I remember uh, having a discussion with my brother, who was the key contributor to this book, uh, and he's uh, he's more into politics and economics and it was interesting for him as well so for me the, the way I look at the book it is not a book for architects just for urban planners I really see this book for a lot of uh, people who are interested in politics economics history and so on and so forth so I, I would recommend this book to a friend that is not an architect for example so so I think these are my own uh, remarks my own personal reflections on the book and I think uh, it has been amazing to be honest to, to read through the book and engage with the content that has been being produced. So thank you. Thank you all for, for working on the book. Um, I think one of the questions that I, I really want to ask, uh, did you want to say anything, Sultan? Oh, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So one of the things that I really also wanted to expand on, uh, and maybe we can start with you, Reem, uh, is that when we look at the resources that you guys have tapped into, uh, other than, of course, looking at typical resources uh, like maps and aerial photographs and, and magazines, you guys have extended, you know, the boundaries of what resource one could use to, you know, uh, get research material and that. And you guys have looked at film clippings, for example, uh, that were, you know, filmed in the UAE. Uh, so that was very interesting for, for me to look at the film and the backdrop of that, uh, uh, those shots where it basically somehow documents uh, Sharjah. So uh, Reem, if you could just let us know your, your experience while researching and of course collecting the data, but also how it really helped us shape the narrative of the book. 
Um, thank you, Shada. Um, very interesting to know how you how you were feeling reading this book that we spent so much time working on, and and to get to answer your question, I think I would have to talk about the main or the general challenge that I believe uh, could possibly fool the urge or the need to make such uh, publications or like uh, about documenting modern heritage or like architectural heritage in general, and that is um, the absence or the unavailability of archives or the inaccessibility to them, even if they exist uh, in the Arab world. And I would say that this is an issue that cannot uh, be separated or detached from the sociopolitical landscape of the context. But I guess this was the driving force for us to look for information beyond the archive or more like to build our own archive. Uh, to be able to create this book. And, and I would say that there were like times when we relied on oral histories, conducting interviews, getting told stories that have been passed on and on and then to us. And, and then we would face another issue or another challenge of verifying these stories and narrative to resolve uh, the issue of authorship or like conflicting information and who actually designed this project. Sometimes it would have two conflicting names uh, or attribution to one building, but you're not really sure uh, who is the actual architect of, of, of that project. Uh, and, and, and the reason we have to do this verification is it's somehow uh, we get to tell a story or shape it. And it, it, it's, it's such a responsibility to decide uh, to choose which story to, to tell and how to say it, right? It's, you, get, you get so many stories uh, uh, from, from different sources and then uh, somehow as researchers, we need to be subjective and on, on what we have to say. And, uh, and I would say that also the research process definitely wasn't linear. It was like branch halved and filled with unexpected findings. Uh, in the most unusual places, or like uh, un unusual documents, for example, like Delhi High Court, where we found information about one of the firms, uh, because we found a case file that uh, the wife of one of the founders of the office had filed against the two other founders that has to do with the, with the practice and 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 also on the screen you have like um you have you have letters you have a telephone directory that tell you about the offices that were operating at that time it's it's not just about architectural document that we find where you find information but sometimes you can find stuff in magazines you can find stuff in letters and books and interviews um like brochures that or, or, or even like documents about conferences where like Australian architects or construction companies were coming to the UAE. And, and, and such type of unusual findings did not only help document what we knew has once existed or still like exist, but being threatened to be demolished. But I think it helped us identify building that we didn't know existed because they have been long demolished uh, before we started doing this research. And um, you know, the absence of information about them, like especially the buildings from the 1960s that were built uh, before the throw municipal, like municipal documentation uh, started taking place. And, and I think there was also a process where we relied on, on, on like the UAE community in general to help us identify those buildings that we have found in photographs. I think for can get to the next slide. Um, like some of those buildings, we had no idea. Maybe you could tell from the street that they were located on Aruba Street, but we have very little information about uh, those structures or who, who built them or who designed them. And, um, and that when you know someone who would tell you about the owner and then from the owner, you get to the contractor and then from the contractor, you would get to the architect. 
and, and etc. And then you start to formulate like a, the whole picture about such project or like a specific building and, and, um, and so on. And, and, and I believe that without information about this project, we can just feature like pictures of buildings or like cityscapes without uh, proper information. Otherwise they become some kind of like, how do I know about speculation? Um, uh, in a way, and and I think the last thing I would like to say that working on this book made me realize how abstract of an idea an archive is. Like, what what is really an archive? Like, what are the documents? Some you would think, okay, I will I will get to this archival like institution, like institution with an archive and find document there, and that's it. But uh, I realized that the an, the idea of an archive could be really an abstract. Uh, concept because whatever researchers find or whatever the story and they're not like whatever we find the story or the narrative will always be somehow incomplete thank you so much Rima I think uh, the point uh, that you mentioned about validation of content I think it's so much important uh, can you maybe elaborate more on that of how content was really validated uh, as you said like a lot of your of what you found is 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 not uh, the full story. So, what was the process and uh, in, uh, indeed used uh, to validate uh, information that was eventually presented in the book? Uh, I think I think the first level of validating the information was to find the names on a signed document that was submitted to to the municipality, uh, where where you have like an actual written uh, proof that this person or this office has worked in that project. But also, oftentimes you would approach this office or like try to find that person and then realize that, oh, we weren't actually the designer, we were just the architect of record. And, and we realized that this is a situation, like a case that happened a lot in the, in the UE, or maybe in the Arab uh, uh, region at that time, where you have an architect who actually designed the project and then you have an architect who submitted the project to the municipality. And this has to do with uh, getting the license to establish an office. Like another scenario, uh, you have Mahmoud Riyad architects who used to design some of the projects in Cairo and then send them to Sharjah to another office who would submit them under submit the drawings under the name. So I think uh, to, to, to do the second level of verification after having the documents, we will try to find the, the architects or like uh, to approach the office or the families. And, and, and if we can find the architect, we go to the contractor who would have worked with the architect as well and try to verify the information from them, like which architect did you work with? Uh, what was the name of the person um, who like signs? And, and, and on those construction documents that sometimes you find at Charger Municipality, you have the name of an office and then you have a name of an architect or a person or a draftsman who signed the document. So we try on social media and find those people or like their families or their kids and us try to interview them uh, personally. And through them as well, we would get more information, more than that we just have. Because if you have a drawing, it doesn't tell you the full story. It doesn't tell you the anecdotes that happened around construction, um, especially that some of the projects end up being uh, built in a, in a very different, um, I mean, there are some cases that you have a lot of changes that happen to the construction drawing when you actually try to construct the building. So there would be some differences between the drawing and the building that you're looking, uh, that you're looking at. Great. Thank you so much, Reem. Uh, maybe just extending the question to Sultan, uh, maybe just also thinking about your own personal family collection. How accessible were they and how beneficial were they to the book? 
Um, yeah, I think I would like to add on what uh, Reem was saying is you have to expand the idea what an archive is because an archive yeah. isn't only you know, a collection of uh, documents and, uh, and an institute. Uh, the, I think what I found was a uh, meeting with many individuals uh, in, uh, in Sharjah led us to a lot of information. Um, and unfortunately, uh, what, what you don't find in archives is more often than not the case than what you do find in archives. I can tell you a story of this, uh, this building on the screen now, which is one of my favorite buildings in Sharjah, absolute gem of a modern uh, structure. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, little uh, uh, was known about it. Uh, uh, we, we know that it was owned by a, a Sharjah a businessman, a Sharjah-based businessman. It was constructed by a company owned by a former Lebanese prime minister. Uh, and uh, it, it was designed by these two Lebanese architects that Reem flew to, Be to Beirut to meet a few years ago. Uh, but we couldn't include it, even though we had the, uh, the, the, the drawings, because uh, we didn't have any archival images. So I, I really feel like this is one of the images that we couldn't have, um, the buildings that we really couldn't uh, include, uh, because we had taken a decision uh, to only use archival images. But maybe if we go uh, to, uh, to, to the next slide, I can show you an, another project that, uh, that we couldn't have uh, included uh, also, which is a Greek architect, uh, Shada, that came to the UAE. Again, this is to build on your question, my own family connections, uh, reaching out to a, a former friend of my dad's, finding uh, his uh, grandson, uh, who, who's, uh, who I knew through common friends and asking them about this project, which was designed by an associate of Doxiades, uh, Tombazis, who is still alive, I believe, in his 90s in Greece, uh, a stunning uh, building uh, in Sharjah. Uh, we couldn't include it because of the lack of archival uh, images uh, as well. But can we just go to the next slide as well, uh, Farah? Um, so finally here, uh, I think... The idea of expanding the archive really uh, allowed me to go and meet uh, individuals. In this, in this slide, you see uh, the construction worker, Ismail is the, the, the construction company owner, Ismail Zarouni, who has been active since the 1960s. You see uh, on the top right an image of in the old uh, people cafe. Uh, we say in Arabic, who are there every day. And uh, I, I went and I met them several times and they gave me a lot of information. Some of the names <clears throat> that weren't so clear, but they did say this was a, a foreigner or this was an Arab uh, contractor. So that helped us to, uh, uh, to sort of limit the search. Um, met with the Sawan, the, the gentleman in the top middle uh, photo, passed away in January this year. He came to the UAE in the 50s from Gaza, and he gave us a huge uh, you know, uh, selection of photographs, many of which made it to the book. Uh, the bottom right image here, you see Mr. Al-Fardan, who clarified for us the idea that Reem just mentioned about uh, uh, how Mahmoud Riyadh's architects uh, were designing in Cairo and how there were architects of record in Sharjah and the Gulf. Uh, and so he says that, yes, this is the person that submitted to us the design, but we knew that it came from Cairo. And that was the firm that actually designed the, the office. So you need to go and meet these individuals, many of whom are quite advanced uh, in age. For, for example, also the stories of how some buildings came about. 
the the building on the uh, the, the gentleman here uh, on the on the left side of the screen, um, Mr. Dimas. Uh, meeting him allowed us to know the origin of uh, you know the ruler's palace, the story that it was inspired by uh, you know a movie that they had with the that the ruler had watched, and he said, well, design something for me or build something for me that emulates this building. And so, again, it's not only the story of uh, who designed the building, but it's also the inspiration that we try to capture in many of the, uh, many of the stories uh, in this book. Thank you so much, Sultan. This is really inspiring. Uh, Todd, would you like to add? Uh, you're on mute. I yeah, I... What I'd like to add to that is maybe to to, to start where Sultan uh, ended there. Uh, both Reem and and Sultan mentioned the, the the notion of the archive is is a kind of a uh, it, it 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 sits on shaky ground. Kind of what what is one and, and when can you call one one? Um, I think research is also a similar term uh, that we we started to question as well. I mean, research sounds like you know we can romanticize that documents will be found in a basement or you know never been seen documents, and but th there's a kind of obsession with these inanimate evi this inan inanimate evidence. Uh, but I think the slide that we just shot showed uh, where Sultan is me meeting with people, and maybe not these people in particular, but there were a lot of sit downs and hours and hours of and days spent uh, sitting with people and gaining trust with people, and and also other kinds of people that we needed, um, you know, to to work on a book like this, a book that we already had, you know, narrowed in scope in a particular way. We also realized that we didn't have all the expertise that that we needed uh, to write the parts of the book that we really wanted, and so we needed contributors who also bring their expertise and also their experience and years of research as well. And I just wanted to give a, a rather quick introdu introduction to each of the people that we uh, we approached, both some people who helped us with uh, long form articles, and also other ones who who contributed uh, short entries uh, for some of the particular buildings. Uh, for example, there's uh, Suhaila Takish, uh, who is a curator here in the UAE, and she's written a really wonderful uh, account of contemporary artists in the 1980s. Uh, encountering the blue souk, and also just the engineered landscape of Sharjah in general, um, and and how how they would respond to it, and and perhaps in some ways of resisting it. We also were very fortunate to to come in contact with historian Talal Al Rashid uh, from Kuwait, uh, who uh, really gave us an article that uh, we so badly wanted to have, which started to explain the role that the Kuwaiti government actually played. In, in Sharjah's urban development and also throughout the Trucial states, in fact. Uh, so he actually has given us something that is not only looking at how Kuwait worked in um, building schools, but also building curricula. Abdul Assad has given us a really touching personal memoir of his family uh, as a Palestinian family uh, living and growing up in Al-Fayha in, in a neighborhood of, of Sharjah. Amar Al-Attar, who was our uh, photo editor of the project, has sat down with a, a, um, a studio photographer who normally took pictures of, of weddings and corporate events, but also went out and took pictures of the city. And he's given us an interview, so looking at the city through actually another photographer's lens. We're also very happy to have Deepak Unikrishnan, uh, a writer based in Abu Dhabi currently, um, who's who's uh, written a, a short story called 
when men glow in Sharjah. And it's ongoing proof that literary fiction is also the be- most, maybe the easiest way to, to tell truths actually about uh, life in cities. Hin Mizena, uh, an artist and curator, uh, we saw her work at Sharjah Art Foundation uh, on hotels uh, in Sharjah. And so we asked her to use her work to bring us inside a lot of these hotels that we actually only knew from the outside as, as kind of urban strategies, but she could show us how they were places where different demographics of Sharjah socialized. Finally, the, the other um, article written outside this group here is Ali Al-Asabi's article, uh, maybe in a similar way to Sahela's article, uh, looking at how journalists were responding to this changing and engineered landscape and also how they were looking to find uh, the voices of people living in the city and how they were exper- experiencing the, the changing landscape of, of Sharjah. We then also reached out to some experts who helped us uh, inform some of the particular stories about particular buildings. Michael Kubo, an architectural historian, uh, gave us a really lovely insight into his work um, into the Architects Collaborative, uh, who were the architects for the famous uh, Radisson Blue or Intercontinental Hotel in Sharjah. Also, architecture theorist, historian Lukas Stanek took us to Horfa Khan with a, um, a project that we would never have found uh, without Lukas. Roberta Fabri, um, also uh, a professor of architecture here in the UAE, uh, who's done a lot of bit of work on Kuwait, uh, also showed us how Kuwaiti entrepreneurialism, but also uh, experience of architecture, made its way through a, one particular pro- project for a Volvo uh, Caterpillar complex here. Hamid Nasser, a curator, uh, does a really beautiful job of placing the Sharjah Cricket Stadium into a a cultural context of the development of a love for cricket uh, here in the city. And then Mohammed Shahid, uh, with his expertise on Cairo, uh, brought a lot better perspective for us on the role that Moment Architects, uh, which was a firm based in Cairo, and how they had such an influential, land, uh, influential role on shaping Sharjah's landscape. K.V. Shamsuddin uh, really helped us out in terms of there was this project called 1000 Villas, which sounded so fascinating to all of us. And he, he lived there. He was one of the first residents uh, in this uh, uh, development inside Sharjah. And he gives us a, a, a truly personal account uh, of living there. And finally, I wanted to mention Mona Al-Musfi, uh, an architect here based in the UAE, who has actually done some of the serious renovation design work here in Sharjah. And she shows us just how deep her renovation kind of imagination is, really, by showing us how much of, of the history that she's collected on both the Flying Saucer and the Casamia School. So I just wanted to use, give a kind of, an idea of just how vast the book goes in terms of, of reaching out to other people so that we get a very much a, a multi-layered view of, of what a map of Sharjah might look like. Uh, thank you so much, Todd. Uh, I think the diverse voices that we, we, we read through the book is amazing and fascinating. And I think maybe I would like to jump at one of the questions that we see in the Q&A from Priya, who says, I'm curious to know how if the migrant workers, especially from South Asia, that are key contributors to building Sharjah, gets represented in your book. If yes, could you discuss the methodology you employed in documenting their stories? 
Was it uh, for uh, Sada? Uh, from Priya. Who would you like to answer? Sorry. Would you like Would you like me to answer? Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll, I'll try to answer this question. We tried, um, I mean, of course, I definitely recognize, acknowledge the enormous role that uh, the, uh, the uh, laborers, workers, blue-collar workers have played in the construction of the cities and the towns of the Gulf states, uh, without, without whose presence these cities wouldn't exist. Um, the, again, the big challenge here is trying to track them down, down, trying to find them, to acknowledge them. In many cases, we found so many images of the construction workers uh, who we tried to present. We really did try to track down individuals. I even had an idea once to get to, get to, to interview one of these construction workers who was present uh, in the 60s, 70s, or 80s. But it was, again, these companies that recruited them didn't really keep an archive on how to contact many of them. Uh, but we try to present them, we try to acknowledge their presence uh, throughout the book. Uh, and I think that uh, it's something where we definitely fall short. I think there's so much more acknowledgement that needs to be done, uh, the role of the construction workers. Uh, and, you know, what they went through, what they saw, these cities, you can just imagine them coming from towns around, uh, around the subcontinent and even around parts of the Middle East where they would come and they would build these, uh, you know, giant uh, structures sometimes and leave after a few years. And you really get, not, they don't get paid really the amounts of money that you imagine they deserve. Uh, and so uh, this was definitely a challenge. And this is something I would like to acknowledge, again, as a co-editor, is one of the places where we fall short is trying to maybe reflect the, the opinion and the point of view of a, a construction worker or a laborer which is, I, I hope, something that can be built upon in the future. If you look at the first image or one of the first, um, <clears throat> one of the first spreads in the book, we have an image of um, sort of Western businessman and uh, someone who looks like he's from the Gulf on the left side. And on the right side, we have this gorgeous photograph of this uh, four or five men standing together. Uh, and we try, to, we try to present them and highlight them in a way that acknowledges their important and vast contribution. Thank you so much, Sultan. Uh, maybe jumping on another research-related question, question uh, Humika says, you rightfully mentioned the subjective nature of choosing which story to tell as part of your research process. Can you speak to the thought process for which building sources and stories you ended up selecting? Todd, I, yeah, I guess that's getting closer to um, actually attached to the research. So, uh, well, I mean, not as if research ever ends, uh, but yeah, I mean, so what happens is you, you start to put together what, what you have for each, each building or each topic, and, and you start to see, you know, I mean, you, you're making choices, um, and that's part of the editing process as well, um, you know, how you want to present a building. I mean, uh, you can present one particular building in so many different kinds of ways, and so we, we make decisions based upon what we have and what we don't have. And what are some of the larger stories of Sharjah that we wanted to tell? And so, uh, but also the really kind of wonderful kind of coincidences that come up or the, the kind of uh, maybe, yeah, I guess coincidences is the best general term for the, the things that just came up that, you know, connect to another building or something else that's uh, been in, in the news recently that we wanted to show. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Todd. Uh, maybe uh, moving on to more on the creative and design approach of the book. Uh, I, I remember me and Sultan, we were in one of the meetings and he gave us basically a glimpse of the book. And I remember thinking this is unusual. Like generally you would have an architectural book with a, a full bleed image on the cover. And a lot of publishers would say it would make a best it would make the best sales of the book. And I remember when I got the physical copy of the uh, book, it almost felt like the image on the cover in specific is a window of a building um, and a window that gives you enough uh, to be intrigued to look into the building, uh, in our case, the book. So I think, Farah, this is a question especially to you. Uh, please tell us a little bit more about the creative and design approach of the book and particularly the story behind the cover of the book in specific. Uh, definitely. So generally speaking, uh, like everyone else is saying, this book is about architecture, but it's also so much about the stories. Um, so for me, there was a, it was a very important uh, thing is to move away from what you would typically expect from a, a very polished book about architecture. And that's why like, the choice of material was super important, and especially for the cover. So we went for a fabric cover, which has this like small image it kind of feels like an old family album and this was really like very intentional uh, because the book is so personal um, and I think a big part of this stems from how much Sultan like absolutely loves this city <laughs> and I think it comes across really well and especially now that it's been published um, it's really nice he's been publishing a lot of like on Instagram a lot of people's reactions to the book and it's really been so moving because I really think it it kind of did what we all wanted it uh, to do um, from a design perspective, yeah, I kind of went for uh, like a modernist approach. Um, so we have like a strict uh, grid, a lot of emphasis on negative space. Uh, we're using one typeface throughout the entire book. So it's kind of about the balance between something that's rigid and strict, like the typography and a grid system. But then that also has a lot of human elements, a lot of warmth. And for me, what was super interesting was the fact that we have photos like this. So here it's a photo of a little girl and the buildings that we're talking about are just in the background. Um, so to be able to work on something like this was really extremely special. Um, uh, another important thing was to kind of try to highlight the very different uh, voices within the book, but still stay within a kind of like unified um, visual language. Um, so yeah, so articles are treated very differently. For example, the one on the left is this like kind of sci-fi fictional story. So we're using a lot like a strong background color. There's a bit more like experimentation and laying out the, the article versus the Todd's article on the right, for example, which is a bit more academic. Um, so there was a lot of play in, uh, yeah, and trying to have a rhythm throughout the book, uh, trying to make sure like it's not monotonous in any way. And then with the images themselves, like the one you see here on the left, so we still see the actual like, re, like traces of the photograph itself. So we really made sure not to Photoshop things too much, really keep them like as unpretentious and as you know raw as, as they are. Um, and this, I guess, is really like the guiding principle behind the, behind the book. Um, and we had like a, an insane amount of content. So what we ended up with the book was like 570 images, but the amount of photos I was sent is like thousands. Uh, and I think actually this also I'm very grateful for because it was really like the choosing the images was very collaborative, which is also really nice. So as a designer, I wasn't just like handed over the content, you know, I was really part of like actually deciding on what gets printed in the end. Um, so yeah, I can just show you a couple of um, 
a couple of slides. Uh, we were very playful with the background colors, with the images, and the colors always came from the images themselves, which was super interesting. Um, this, for example, is a photo just like aesthetically. I mean, for me, it was like, this needs to be in the book. It's <laughs> just so unusual, you know? So yeah, it was just like such a privilege to be able to go through these images and talk about them and spend time with them. Um, and yeah, these are just a couple of more spreads. This is, yeah, by the way, I didn't, this, the fact that this is your, like your family's building, crazy. This is one of my favorite images uh, inside the whole book. And yeah, for me, I was always also like kind of uh, gravitate towards images that have human elements. It tells you a bit like about the scale, about how people dress. And again, it's this like kind of like socioeconomic layer that you don't really always find in, in architecture books. And um, yeah, I also visited Sarja for the first time uh, during the making of this book, which was super special because then also like I wasn't just seeing these images as content. Uh, and me and Todd had some like super funny experiences walking around. I, I got my ring randomly polished at this shop and we <laughs> snuck into a fire escape of one of the buildings and we hung out there for a while. Like, so to be able to actually, you know, be in the city for a while, I think also made a huge difference in the, in the process. Uh, I think Sultan and the team, I think you guys need to promise me that I don't, I need to see those unshown pictures that you've not, <laughs> Farah, included in the book eventually. I think we need to have another session just on those images. <laughs> um, just jumping on another question, I think it's very relevant to, again, the, the overall creative uh, design approach from Dia, if I'm mentioning her name correctly. The book has beautiful photos and it's evident that the team was highly selective about picking the best photos. What was the criteria for choosing the photos. Can I start with this, even though this is not my, this is not the question for me, but I just want to say that in, when we did start, there was nothing to select from. So this idea that we had this huge, vast resource, the beginning, we had nothing. <laughs> there was absolutely zero images that we had access to. So we had to first build up the, the selection, the images that Farah says that we uh, that we uh, offloaded onto her. It took a couple of years, maybe three years to find these images. Uh, and then we, we decided, uh, all of us, I think that uh, we want to look at this book. We want to make it a book that was uh, rooted in a moment in history. So we decided to uh, focus on archival images. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, we, so we had this double challenge of there's nothing available, even the existing structures you know, we don't want to photograph them because it takes away. They've been modified. They've been painted. There's air conditioning units attached to it. It doesn't really reflect what the building looked like. Uh, so this was a huge uh, challenge. I think I also want to shout out, give a shout out here to Ammar Al-Attar, whose uh, archive was absolutely essential in, uh, in creating and finding some images that I think nobody else would have had access to. Uh, and all the other collaborators really uh, said that it's impossible to mention people from Peter Jackson to yeah. uh, Mahmoud al-Sawwan, uh, to uh, Dr. Naman al-Jalili, and so many others, uh, and even residences and some buildings and some archives. Uh, so I think I want someone else to answer this question, but I just wanted to give the context of, uh, just to mention that we really didn't have much, and then we were blessed with so many good people who helped us out along the way. Yeah, I quite panicked. Uh, <laughs> when, so when we decided to start working, I, 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 um, 
we, we agreed that I'd come to Sharjah and we, you know, start looking because I'd seen things on Sultan's, you know, social media and I got there and we started, oh yeah, uh, actually we don't really have anything. Um, and so we, we thought about, okay, what to do. Uh, one thing would have been to take contemporary photographs. Um, and that was kind of tricky. Um, so, and I think it would have been, if we did uh, contemporary ph photographs, we would probably have only done that. Um, and then right about the time we started getting, actually the image that um, Parak showed of, of the girl on the rooftop mm. was one of the very first ones we got. And we thought, okay, if we can get, you know, just a few dozen more like this, we can, we can make a book of them. Uh, and, and I think, you know, relying on archival photography, at least for me, um, allowed us to, to kind of let go of a contemporary Sharjah. Uh, and let it be a, a Sharjah, not only of the past, but a, a, also a Sharjah of possibilities, of, of, of looking at, you know, wondering at the people who are captured in the photographs, you know, what, what, how they were not only seeing the city, but how they were seeing the future of that, that city, which, you know, was probably very different than, than the city that we know today. Shada, I would just like to add something about this photograph that we have on the screen that it is so funny because when we used to approach residents for like their personal archives, it wasn't to show that the building, to, to get images of the building they're occupying, but for the neighboring building. Because normally a resident of a building would take a picture in a balcony or on the roof, but it shows, for example, this image is taken from the building, Sultan shown in the very beginning, your family building, Sultan, but it's showing Bank Street in the back. So to find a photo of a building somewhere, you have to think where the residents of the surrounding buildings in the, in the, in the neighborhood would have taken photo of that building. And then you approach them. Uh, do you have a picture of the building next to you or the building in front of you that you might have taken of your kids, like at birthday parties and stuff like that, when, when families are, are like taking uh, photos or like capturing certain moments? Um, Marini, you just reminded me, it reminded me of one of the things my mother, I remember, would always do is like she would have this camera with her and she would always want to, of course, after a major party or a get together, she would always want to, you know, go and uh, go to the film studio to get the, the film uh, I don't know the technical word, uh, you know, but to get the photos out. And I remember when she would go there, she would have like one or two photos that she could take and she would always take me with her and eventually that photo would be of me standing at the studio and literally that happened at every reel so like you can see me growing in that images I was literally telling this story to Tad and Ammar yesterday so I think it's it's interesting the, the reasons behind these images and how they've been taken and how they can really uh, enlighten us with other information that could really uh, help us narrate the story better of Sharjah I would say. Um, it would be uh, Shata. I'd, I'd be curious to hear Farah's kind of uh, yes. from Farah about you know her kind of first response to seeing these images. Uh, you know, ter in terms of the the quality of them and the the low resolution and kind of. I mean, we had an amazing designer who was very patient with us. So I'd be curious to hear from her what what how she recalls uh, looking at these at the first time. Um, yeah, I also had some panic, of course, because, you know, some of them are like seven pixels in total. And I was like, there's no way, you know, this cannot be printed. Um, so yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, a matter of like finding images like this, for example, really, I think this one in specific, I just like remembered and never forgot 
it's so well composed, you know, it's like this rule of thirds is there. And that's what's really nice about going through these things is that when someone isn't intentionally trying to create a beautiful image, um, something else happens, you know, and this is true for so many of the, of the images in the book. And then of course we had some that were scanned really well. And then we can, uh, because it's throughout the book, we have some images that are just full spreads and they just kind of act as breathers in between essays and, and entries. And so for those, of course, really well scanned images, we're able to print them really large. We can see all the details. And we also worked with um, Ado Smithhausen, who was amazing at uh, color correcting uh, some of the images. So to bring them closer to, to like a realistic color scheme, because with time, of course, like some of them were just like completely pink or brown. Um, so yeah, my first impression was like a, a bit of panic, but then of course we had eventually, like Sultan was saying, like a buildup of many options. And I think the fact that I, I joined the team relatively early on, maybe I gave the wrong impression in the beginning. Like I wasn't handed this giant archive instantly, but it was more like, oh, we found this new image of this building. And then we would think about replacing something we already, we already did. And it was generally very enjoyable to be able to like, really like mold something slowly and carefully. That's how it felt for me. Um, Farah, maybe this question is really adding to the horror. Uh, one person basically says, really love the selection of archival photographs. When is the next photo book coming out with the, with the as yet unpublished photographs? <laughs> so that's yeah. a question for you, Farah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm up for working with uh, Sultan Todd and Reem literally any day, any time. But this question would be more, uh, more up to them. Okay, perfect. Um, another thing that I wanted to also bring uh, to the table as a, uh, as a discussion area, for me, I remember when I looked at the book and, and you know, grasped the content and tried to, you know, uh, compare it to what I had as a perception on Sharjah and the narratives that I would assume to be correct or, uh, or almost correct. And I think one of the things that I really looked into is uh, is how, the, especially with the architectural style that was followed in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 70s, I would say, was somehow different to what uh, really emerged in the 80s with so-called influence of Islamic ar uh, architecture. And for me, that was enlightening, uh, to be honest, because for me, 60s to the 80s was the same architectural style, and I didn't really... Uh, dive deep into uh, how it really progressed or changed or evolved uh, with with time and the reasons behind it. So maybe a question to all again, how do you see the book really now with all the research somehow challenging some of the narratives and or, or perceptions on Sharjah in general uh, that you see now very differently uh, than you did before working on the book? Can I start with the, answering this briefly? I think it's important to look at this book holistically so I think rather than just look at the individual project, you can uh, maybe when you pick up the book, you can just uh, uh, skim and look at other projects that were designed this, at the same time. Maybe you can uh, read the bio of the architect when this architect had arrived in the UAE, then look at the timeline and see what happened in the previous two or three or four years that led to this design. So if you're really looking at, the, for example, Islamic influence, what happened in the, in the few years before that? If you're looking at a mega project, was that did that coincide with the discovery of oil in Sharjah? Mm -hmm. So all these things, I think, are tied, which is why we paid so much attention to the timeline, which is why we paid so much attention to biographies, which is why we paid so much attention to 
to uh, uh, creating a context such as the presence of Kuwait, the arrival, you know, the discovery and the export of oil. All these items influenced even the architectural landscape in a city. Uh, Todd, would you like to add to that? Uh, you're on mute, I think. Yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. Um, I think one thing that I would pick up just to continue with what Sultan was saying about the timeline, um, we, we kept a, a, a timeline for us as an informal use to help us as we were going through because we weren't, we weren't composing a history from A to Z. We were we were just using what we could find and and working and, and and as we did that we tried to you know no timeline is ever perfect or complete but kind of keep one that that the dates and the kind of numbers that that meant something to us and in the end we published it in the um, in the book as, as part of the appendix and I think we did that as a way of of being quite transparent with how we were working um, again. No time timeline is complete, and this one doesn't even attempt complete uh, to be a complete one. Uh, yet it was a way for us to begin to say, I think what you were doing as a reader, Shata, is to, to give that experience to the reader to be, to begin to start to put together something that, um, yeah, I think uh, we, in a large way, avoided a kind of giving a kind of clear overview of everything only because it was uh, we were looking at the city in such a, uh, a in a various number of ways really and i think we we wanted to be careful that that we didn't uh, close those doors yet um especially because this book isn't uh, i can't think of another book in english about sharjah that has this kind of history in it um and that wasn't our role uh, i'm an architect uh reem is from an architectural background um, uh, Sultan is, is from uh, a political science and an art background. And so we weren't quite prepared to write a, a, a you know, a, a heavy history, but we wanted to leave the parts. Uh, we wanted to make sure that the parts were open enough so that you could read that there is history inside of them. Yeah, uh, and I think that really leads to the another qu another question that we have uh, from Yusuf. He says, there is some good stuff in this presentation. However, Sharjah offers much more in terms of architecture, building, old Daos, Mina, Port, etc. I did not see those. So what would be your response to that? Maybe if I may start, maybe Reem and Todd would like to answer this as well. But we really weren't looking at, um, at logistics or at the specific uh, uh, territories like like the like the Mina, but we we did try Yusuf, and I think you're right. There were there were definitely elements we would have liked to have included, but as Todd said, we were definitely limited by archival images. We were limited with space constraints. This is a 400 plus page book, so how much further can we go? I think this is an interesting and important introduction into a city of you know 1.7 million or so. Uh, the history of that city, but there's so much more to be said. Uh, but we did try to include images of the souk. We did try to include images of the airport. There's so much more to be done. Uh, and I think this is where you see the role now of the, the Sharjah uh, National Archive in Sharjah. You see the role of the architectural triennial. You see the role of different uh, parts of the city and the country as well. Uh, who, who, had, who can hopefully plug these gaps where we have fallen short. 
Thank you, Sultan. Uh, maybe one of the questions that I personally would like to um, um, have an answer to or, or have a discussion around, um, as you know, Sultan, Todd, Dream, and, uh, and Farah, there are a lot of buildings specifically in Sharjah that are, are currently abandoned or are uh, at the process of being demolished. And as you mentioned, Sultan, like Ammar al-Attan and others who are collecting so much archive around the buildings um, uh, are doing a great job, you know, in terms of partly uh, preserving what uh, could be uh, preserved before a building is demolished. So how do you see the role of an individual person who really is concerned about the demolition and wants to add value and support? Uh, how do you see their role uh, as an individual, I would say? I can say something, I mean, uh, not not exactly the, the, the answer to your question, but something that I that I feel that is starting to become uh, a prevailing knowledge happening that uh, modern architecture heritage does not necessarily have uh, to be uh, something that will preserve and not occupy. A building could be modern heritage and occupiable and accessible uh, with people still living in it. There is always this kind of uh, misconception that whatever is... Um, a heritage site or a heritage building should be an artifact that no one uh, can access, uh, that should be just preserved and you look as if, as if it is a museum artifact or like an object, a collectible object. But there is a, there is a way to uh, preserve and at the same time make these uh, like project to building accessible. True. I think something that I would add too is I, you know, I, I didn't approach this and, and I'm speaking for myself. So each team member has his or her own opinion, but I didn't approach this project as a preservationist uh, project. Um, I, I don't necessarily take a stand one way or the other, whether a building should come down or not. I think that that discussion has changed dramatically in the last several years when it's actually become an issue of, of needing to reuse resources. I mean, the demolition and of buildings that are you know full of materials, especially concrete, uh, you know, is a, a real ex extreme, a waste of of extracted resources from around the world, um, and and that's really a compelling reason for me. I don't mean that the buildings don't have cultural value and cultural meanings. I mean we've seen wonderfully accessible examples of um, of preservation here in Sharjah um, already, and I you know those are, are ways to look forward. But in terms of, you know, I think a book like this is also a way of, you know, buildings also change. Do they need to look exactly how they did uh, when they were designed? I don't, I think that kind of gets at what maybe Reem is saying is if a building is lived in, it can also change as its uses might, for example. And I think that's something to recall because I think, you know, there are other ways that we can experience buildings if, if they do transform or if they have, for one reason or another, need to be demolished that they can be remembered in a certain way. Uh, because if we don't remember them, then I think the history can easily get rewritten. And I think that's where things get unfortunate. Would you like to add something? Okay, great. Um, we have uh, maybe, uh, I guess we've already responded to another question where uh, a lot of buildings, especially in Sharjah, uh, I would say there are a few examples where they have been preserved and some that are uh, in the line of to be demolished. Her question was basically, are uh, have you have most of all the older buildings in the city been restored and care of, or have they been demolished for new buildings? Is the old cherished? I would say, I think we've somehow answered that question. 
Um, I would say another, maybe uh, I, it may seem a fairly simple question, but I think it would really give insight into your own personal uh, preferences and, and, and likings. I think for, for everyone, just to understand also further from each one of you, uh, is there a specific aspect of history or building that you were most interested in, in writing and research? And if yes, why? Leave me on a start. Tony can start. Fine. Okay. Well, so is the question is, is there a specific aspect in history? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Shada, uh, on my part, I was, I was at one point in time scrambling just to get as much information as possible and then decide what I would be interested in. And the truth is that when, we, when I started at least 2016, um, trying to interview, trying to meet people, some of these individuals became less and less accessible. I remember there was a case of an elderly uh, Emirati gentleman who suffered a stroke uh, uh, within uh, <clears throat> a few months after I first contacted him. And then I kept regretting that I wish I had asked him more questions. I, I wish I was better informed so my questions could be uh, more in-depth. Uh, and so all these, all these issues really uh, posed the challenge. Uh, for me, I was keen on uh, see if finding more information about the role of Emirati architects, uh, which you'd think they would there would be information about, but there was very little uh, about. Uh, we had we had a number of Emirati architectural firms. We do highlight one of them in the book, but it wasn't enough. So this, as an Emirati, I wish there was more information. The role of women, which you said, I tried to write about my mom. Uh, but again, it's kind of challenging to publish images uh, of uh, women in the 1970s and 80s. So that was one of the reasons in which, why, in which I resorted to using my mom's archival history. Uh, even showing other women with her, I, I had to opt not to use these photographs. Uh, and so uh, I, for me, the Emirati angle was very interesting. Um, and I could also tell you that there were images and there were aspects in which people shied away from being included. Some people would say, well, this was a very political part uh, of the uh, very, very political point in the history of the country. I remember a couple of times, Shada, someone saying, oh, do you know this building was owned by an individual who was uh, um, who was shunned or who had some kind of political um, mishap uh, and so they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to be associated in in some cases you know including an essay about an investigative uh, um, magazine like um, like azman al arabiya was also a uh, was also a difficult uh, decision and how do we approach that and i think ali sab did a wonderful job about about writing about this publication because it was a moment in history in the late 70s and early 80s that we wanted to capture so what we didn't include, I think, was many, many times more than what we did include in this book. Thank you, Sultan. Uh, Reem, would you like to add? Um, I think I remember in the very beginning when I started working on this project, I was so um, uh, fixated on this idea of including like the drawings of the buildings, like showing the 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 buildings as 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 objects in the book and then eventually uh throughout like maybe into the second year of research and finding more information and speaking to people and like conducting interviews uh i started to uh um you know become more interested in this idea of 
uh, including the stories of the building rather than the building themselves. Like it, like you cannot you cannot deassociate the buildings from the people or the city from the people. So it was really important to include both aspects and, and make the the book less of an architectural book showing just architectural drawing that not everyone necessarily can read, but rather uh, giving um, an account of how how Sharjah. Uh, of what Georgia looked like at that certain moment in time. Thank you, Thank you so much, Reem, and everyone. Uh, another question that I have from Farah, is there anything in the sociocultural features of Sharjah spaces that is unique, quite unique in comparison to other Emirates? Anyone would like to go on that question? Maybe since you studied the the UAE and you looked at Dubai, maybe you can try uh, to answer this. And, yeah, this is always a tricky question. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I've looked at cities in the Gulf and also the UAE, and I find that um, once you try to start to make some generalization about cities, then you realize, oh no, 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 they're so they're so different. You have to you have to give room for nuance. And then when you start to give nuance, you see, oh, but. But there's so such a kind of general characteristic that we can find, and I I find that really fascinating about cities um, uh, of the Gulf because there is this kind of tension between uh, wanting to group them together, but also assertion of of of, of being very different. Uh, and I and I like that movement uh, from one to the other. I mean, as I said at the beginning, you know, I thought ah, after working so long on Dubai. Moving to onto Sharjah will 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 be a fun diversion afterwards, and it really was the wrong way uh, to go at it. Uh, I mean, you know, you could kind of make a pre-oil history and a post-oil history, and it generally kind of works out the same. But it's it's actually it reaches back. I mean, the com the competition between cities between Sharjah and Dubai, uh, between other Gulf cities. Uh, for kind of global stature, for becoming a major trade hub, you know, really, you know, oftentimes you talk about the things that that they overlap in doing or making, you know, redundant uses or developing redundant kinds of infrastructure. But they're also, you know, looking for ways to 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 diversify not just their own economies, but diversify from the rest, let's say, of the UAE economy. So I didn't give anything specific, but only the kind of the way that I, I guess I've had to approach that kind of question. If I may, Shadda, if I also may try to answer this, uh, I think uh, just building on Reem's point and also Todd's point that cities are products of the individuals who live there. So who are the individuals who moved to Sharjah in the 50s and 60s? Because they brought with them their ideas. They were the entrepreneurs. They were the pioneers. They were the the, the teachers, the nurses, the doctors, the engineers, the architects, they're the ones who shape the city. In addition to the local citizens, in addition to the, 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 the I, you know, I'm 43 years old and I still don't know how to refer to somebody from Sharjah, the, Shar, the, Shar, the, Shar, the Sharjans who, uh, who I think occupy the space. Um, and so if you think about the Sharjah's uh, uh, historical context, the presence of certain individuals uh, impacted the architecture and the urban space that you see around. Uh, but Sharjah also has its own dynamic uh, force. You have an educated population that that thereby that there on went and started the women's association that went on to design a building to host this association. So uh, you need to look at that uh, local historical context in order for you to understand 
what differentiates slightly Sharjah from Ajman, from Dubai, from Abu Dhabi, uh, in Kuwait and elsewhere? Thank you so much, Sultan. Um, looking at other questions that I have, um, maybe one of the questions, another question I think is very important also that you have a lot of researchers, urban planners, designers, architects who want to really contribute to the content of the book and the research. So how do you see this um, uh, as, a, as a future step, Sultan, Todd, Dream and, and Farah, how do you see contributing to, uh, to this research uh, in the future? Todd, you want to answer? I feel like I spoke too much. I, um, I can, I can give, give a, yeah, you know, it's, um, I also see there's a question from Bumaka that's a, a, a bit similar to, to what you just said. So I'm reading that one as well um, about self-awareness uh, and being researchers and editors and that you're creating narratives. And I, uh, I appreciate hearing that, that that comes through, whether in the book or in this, um, this talk. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when, you know, the, there's this frustration that there aren't a lot of established published sources to work with, um, that you realize that you are kind of crafting something that, that, um, that's not existing. And so, you know, if there is already a meta a, a mega narrative, uh, that you either want to, to support or fight back against, then that's actually a little bit easier. Then, you know, your stance, but when, you know, the, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that there isn't a, a narrative. You know, a, a shared, let's say, um, uh, a larger, sh uh, a larger narrative shared by a community about Sharjah. Um, but nevertheless, there was this feeling that you know we were through architecture describing a city's uh, urban development from let's say the the fifties onward. And so, yeah, we were making statements that, that hadn't really been stated about the city yet. Um, but also, I, you know, and when you say, Oh, but future people can, can take the story onward or, or contest it even. Uh, but that's also kind of uh, dropping the ball in a way, you know, by saying you don't have to do it, but let the other ones do it. So it, mm -hmm. it, um, there's a little bit of a, a give and take there in terms of taking responsibility, but also allowing uh, the book to be written in a way that the door is still open uh, for, for more people to come in. Yeah, uh, I have a very similar question. Again, uh, people who are willing to volunteer or help in any which way. And I think this goes for me and everyone else who really uh, were intrigued between, with the content of the book and really would like to you know, support uh, whether it's spreading awareness of the book. Uh, I would basically maybe say to everyone, please purchase the book at uh, Art Jamil. You have them. I have written that down here. You would have a few copies at the Sharjah Book Fair and the Gulf Photo Plus. I think these are the main uh, uh, places where you can actually purchase this book because I think it really uh, is, is, is a step. For me, it was really a stepping stone to look really deep into family archives, I would say. Uh, and it's something that I've always promised myself that I would do uh, sometime in, in my lifetime, but I eventually always postponed it. So I think it's something that really... Uh, is a question of how we can really support collectively um, and work towards uh, building that narrative together, I would say. Um, I think these are almost the questions that, okay, I have a question that just 
uh, came in right now with Salman Suedi, so I'm going to read it out entirely because it's a long one. What role has this course of urban cultural ge geography of the West played in building this book and understanding Sharjah if it did? Were there certain moments or cultural thoughts that helped discrete and interpret the archive and the building of the city, or was it solely built on just the context of Sharjah? I find it hard not directly thinking of Western academia when I think of reading cities, simply because of studying in the West. <clears throat> if I may uh, try to answer this, uh, thank you, Salim Suedi, for the question. Uh, certainly, uh, I mean, we, we definitely had to use resources from the West. There was a lot of cultural, um, uh, you know, a lot of the archives were based there. A lot of the theory is based on uh, Western theory, but a lot of times this was proven untrue. A lot of times these archives were uh, useless to us, but we did have to explore them. So we did have to approach uh, these archives, but it doesn't mean that we were always successful in finding um, issues there. I think, uh, to be honest with you, some of the richest archives, some of the richest sources we found about a city in the east was in the east. So we went to uh, Amman, and we went to Bombay, and we went to Karachi, and we went to uh, Beirut, uh, and we went to Cairo, and we went to Istanbul. And that is where we found the history of uh, Sharjah city. And I think that reflects uh, the Sharjah's position. It doesn't mean that London and Minnesota were not useful. They were useful. But I think you need to expand your understanding of, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the resources and under your understanding of what uh, researching a city in the East uh, would mean. Um, unfortunately, and I think I want to link this to the, the question uh, earlier, Shada, in which somebody asked, what can we do? as, as, as uh, uh, lay persons. What, what we can do, uh, and again, I'm not somebody who studied architecture or urbanism, but what we can do is start with our own uh, homes, our own um, family archives, our own grandparents or parents' archives, or going to friends. What we can do now is, uh, is, is, is try and, uh, you know, preserve through photography. What we can do is either write or, or discuss or talk or even attend events like this and share them with individuals and, and build the culture of, of uh, hope, uh, the culture of uh, trying to appreciate the environment in which we, we live. Uh, so I hope that answers your question. Salem, I know that you are very uh, active in, uh, in doing this, so I salute you. Uh, thank you so much, Sultan. Uh, I think we are almost uh, close to our wrap-up. Maybe just a final comment or note from each one of you would be great uh, for all of our audiences and, and, and any aspirations or hopes uh, after the publication uh, that we just talked about. I'll go first, uh, just because I'd, I'd like to comment as well on this question, maybe from another angle uh, than what Sultan uh, took it on, uh, this question about the West and uh, in the context of Sharjah. And, you know, one thing that especially in my interest is, is the role of the architect. Um, and the architect is often seen as this um, foreign um, um, expertise that, that arrives and, and brings with him or her ideas of somewhere else. Uh, and I think Oftentimes that's seen as someone coming from the West. And what I really loved about this project was we started to see that it's not such a complicated, or so, sorry, it's not such an easy uh, distinction to be made between the West and somewhere else. Uh, so, I mean, obviously we have 
uh, architects, you know, coming from the all these cities that uh, Sultan has just mentioned. I won't go through them again, but many of them were, for example, educated in France or educated in the U.S. or educated in another Arab country um, or somewhere else, uh, even in Eastern Europe. And I think that you know, suddenly we, even the exchanges, the kind of the the let's say the purity of a, a nationality isn't isn't so easy to identify. And I think that's also one of the beautiful things about this project that if if you actually spend time looking at who is building or who are the people that we were able to document, that even their lives aren't easy to to peg down as where are they from. Thank you so much, uh, Todd, for that last remark. Anyone else? Perfect. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, thank you, Sultan, Todd, Reem, uh, Farah, for the amazing work that you guys did on the book. Um, I think there, there isn't, at least I would say anyone from Sharjah, there isn't anyone who would really not thank you on this uh, this book. It really adds to, to Sharjah, the UAE and the globe in terms of where we are, who we are. And, and, and I think uh, uh, it's a privilege, of course, to moderate this session. Uh, I would, of course, like to also thank uh, the organizers organizers and Abu Dhabi for hosting us uh, for this incredible one and a half hour um, and again thank you all for all the efforts and, and for attending and accepting the uh, invitation to this uh, panel discussion. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a download from the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. You'll find more information on our website www.nyuad.nyu.edu slash institute.